0: And here we go, another episode of We Talk Music on the air and in your ear. And once again, I am Mo, and I got with me King of the Casters. He's Mr. Brett Podcast. And uh, right, we have a, a guest. I, I get the feeling we could talk to this
1: gentleman for about... Seven years and not get all the stories. <laughs> I I think you're right about that. Uh, this gentleman has played with so many people, uh, you know, among them most notably Quiet Riot, but I mean House of Lords, Jeffrey. We're here to talk about uh, his new album under the Chuck Wright's Sheltering Sky. It's it's Chuck Wright. Chuck, how Where are you? I am. You?
2: Hey. <laughs> Woohoo! Nice to meet you guys. How are you?
1: Oh, we're fantastic. I mean, wanted to talk to you for a long time. You're fantastic. I couldn't find any socks without holes in them. Mm. So uh, you know, wow. yeah, it's been that kind of day. I
3: okay.
1: blame, I blame um, society.
2: There yeah, you go. Yeah, for I know. <laughs>
1: Ormos, <laughs> but yes, Chuck, we've been uh, looking forward to talking to you for a while. Uh, I mean, we've been following your career for a uh, for a very long time now, and so it's great to have you on. But uh, "Sheltering Sky," I mean, first question that I'll ask is, uh, where did you get the impetus to call it "Sheltering Sky"?
2: Um, well, well, I never planned on doing a solo album to begin with. It was just during the pandemic I started just writing music that I liked, you know? So that's why there's a lot of, so many different styles on the album. But the actual title um, is, I have 41 guests on this record. Wow. So it kind of feels like, um, and I run an, an event called Ultimate Jam Night, which um, I've cord- coordinated well over 2000 professional musicians over the years. We started in 2015. So I've kind of felt like uh, a, an umbrella or a sheltering sky over all of these different musicians and bringing people together. and that's kind of where the title came from.
1: So I guess the the problem for you may have been like turning people down to work on this album. <laughs> I think. Well,
2: you know? well, what I did was is um, I was just like I said, writing music, and I would think of God. You know who would be good for this? Um, let's say, for instance, um, I I was doing a, a cover of Bjork's uh, "Army of Me," and I go, who would be a good singer for this? And through Ultimate Jam Night, um, I, I met a singer by the name of Whitney Ty. Um, who I thought would be great for it, and I reached out to her, and she goes, "Oh, I love, I love York. Yeah, I'd love to do it." So she did that. We became really good friends, and she's on three songs now, and co-wrote uh, "Time Waits for No One" on the album with me. Um, that's basically how it kind of went. I would like say, "Who's a good person for this?" I got this kick-ass R&B type funk tune, and um, you know, and I thought of different singers for that. And I got Jeff Scott Soto. Uh, who you know from TSO and and Ingbe uh, and a bunch of other, and he was in Germany too. And I called him up and I said, hey, check out this track. Here's how the vocal goes. And three hours later, he sent me the vocals on it. was killer. So it's kind of been like that. I've been very blessed to have so many good friends that I've made over the years. Plus, um, having Ultimate Jam Night, um, I've met a lot of new people. And you know, it's a social networking thing. That's kind of why I started. It's a free show. It's for the music community. It's between 45 and 100 guys. Or musicians singers you know women too uh that come down
1: well that's
0: awesome yeah, we've had jeff uh jeff Garzoto on about a half dozen times so uh
2: <laughs> well he he's, works he's he, got yeah. something coming out seems like every week is. <laughs> it's crazy and he's on the road all the time i don't know you know was, whatever i'm it's, i'm happy for him he's so so talented and such a good guy i've known him you know i met him Ingve was opening up for Quiet Ride in the 80s. And I remember him getting he was like 20, getting off of the tour bus, you know. He said, Hey, you know, we made we've been friends since then. You know, wow. I just I just uh re-met his son, who's now a grown adult, you know, and I remember his kid being in a little in a stroller. So you know,
3: <laughs>
2: yeah. It's great having friends this long. That's that gotta be it's, a surreal. Yeah. Huh? It is. It's That's it's a, it's, yeah, it's been yeah. like that. Yeah. So then let's talk about
1: the songwriting, you know, process. I mean, obviously the pandemic left you a lot of, I guess, free time, but like, was the songwriting something that you've been working on since before the pandemic?
2: Um, Actually, no, I, I, you know, I have been a songwriter, like I'm the majority songwriter on, uh, with House of Lords and uh, Quiet Rights QR3 album. Um, I did uh, every song on that album. I, you know, was a writer, uh, co-writer on, and um, you know, in other projects I've been in and other bands I've been in, I've been a writer. but because of weekend flyouts with Quiet Riot that I was doing and organizing and working the uh, ultimate jam night since two thousand and fifteen, I really hadn't had any time I, there was no time for myself to just sit and just create. I was always go, 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 always flying somewhere doing something so you know I made the the best out of a really horrible situation with with the pandemic and I took the feeling that I had. Uh, the very first song I wrote is called "The Weight of Silence," and that's because of, I was looking around at, at the empty uh, city streets all over the world, and pictures of that, and just seeing what was going on in the world. And it was really kind of dark and heavy and deep. and And I, I wrote the song called the "Weight of Silence," and I recorded it myself, everything. And I, I I even did a video to it using drone footage of all the empty streets. And I had one character in it. was supposed to be the last man on earth in a hazmat suit so it's kind of a sci-fi feel and I put that out and uh Troy Luchetta from Tesla reached out and said hey this would sound great with drums on it and I said okay go for it so he did that and and uh another friend of mine who's a top uh, jazz fusion guitar player in town named Alan Hines uh also uh same thing and and he sent me some guitar solo work that I edited together to create a theme And then I reached out to Derek Sherinian from from, uh, Dream Theater, who you you might know him from that, and Sons of Apollo. And he did some keyboards, and that all came together that way. And I I re put out a video of that, and it ended up winning Best Instrumental and uh, Best Video, um, the Rock Music Alliance Awards. And Tony Kay from Yes um, presented it. And um, I was up against uh, uh, Joe Satriani and John Five with that particular song. Mm -hmm. But that song came from the feeling I had with, with the, the pandemic that was going on. And I just started just writing music for me, you know, just stuff music. I'd want to hear if you listen to the album, uh, if people actually, you know, if you sit down and listen to it top to bottom, kind of, it, it has a concept feel to it, but I cover hard rock, funk, frog, jazz fusion. I even have a folk gospel song. That's like Robert Plant, Alison Krauss. And I have a Celtic song on there with like three drummers doing tribal drumming. And, um, and a fiddle and a bahrain and um, it goes into a jig at the end and it's sung by David Victor who is a uh, lead singer and, uh, and guitar player in Boston. Wow. Yeah, so it's it's been great being able to tap into different people in different styles and there isn't I there was no agenda. That's the thing. I didn't know. I got to write, you know, 10 songs that all sound like, you know, melodic rock, you know, and I, I didn't have to I just was writing music that I thought would be cool you know, and it's very cinematic sounding. I worked with a friend of mine who's an award-winning film composer, and he's an engineer and co-produced some of the songs with me. So so a lot of the songs have a very cinematic feel because of things I wanted to do and things that he contributed as well. His name is Tim Jansen's, by the way.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, I think I I know the name. Like, um, yeah, yeah, The Other Side is my favorite song on the album.
2: Uh, Well, there's a story behind that one. Oh, great. Um, (laughs) Yeah, um, I, I I love that song too, and it, it kind of has a Zeppelin feel to it. It's in six eight. Um, uh, I can't think, uh, I can't think of the name of the song right now. But anyway, um, what happened with that song was I was you know sitting at home and I got this, the phone call that Frankie Vinelli had passed. You know I was expecting it eventually, but when it when it actually when you get that call, it hits you really hard, and it it just brought up all the feelings of losing my mom and then like five or six of my best friends like Pat Torpy the drummer for Mr. Big is a close friend of mine. And I have tracks with him on three songs on this album, but I, I, the 12 string guitar was hitting to my left. I picked it up and I wrote that song top to bottom, including the chorus melody and lyric idea all at the same time. So I, I put that all together, then I reached out to um, a guy, a singer by the name of Marcus Young, who had been working with Frankie. And um, I wanted him to be involved. He kind of had, his it was a Led Zeppelin tribute band thing that Frankie was doing at the time, um, called Mr. Jimmy, and I just thought that his voice would be cool, and I wanted to involve somebody else that was really close with Frankie on that particular song, so he helped finish out the verses on that piece. Yeah, and I mean killer solo by Jude Gold, by the way. Oh wow! Yeah, the Starship. There's five guitar players on that song. Holy crap! <laughs> including me, I'm playing. I play guitar on most of the songs acoustic, you know, and. and in different bases one song has three bases on it at the same time (laughs) so it's it's pretty eclectic it's a diverse record but it does rock i know a lot of fans of you know that only know know me from bands like alice cooper Montrose, and quiet riot house of lords and Jeffrey, and all that might think oh it's going to be that kind of thing there are elements of hard rock in there on the album but it it covers a lot of other territories and textures and
0: music yeah that's that's what really stood out to me about it was I was listening to it and 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 all of a sudden getting the completely different than what I expected song. And yeah, you know, it was a pleasant surprise. But the first time it caught me off guard. I've listened to it three times now. So yeah. by oh, the great. third time. Yeah. So by the third time, you know, you're like, okay, I know I know what I'm getting now and I'm able to really get into it and enjoy it. I think this is one of those albums that upon repeated listenings, uh, people will enjoy it more. Oh, grow on you. That's good to
2: know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was, that was the same thing for me. Like I listened to it the first time and I'm like, wow, I mean, it's great. And, but there's so much going on. And then the second time and, and further, it's just like, oh, okay. Now, now everything's kind of washing over you. And it's just like, and you start to understand the, the, I guess the, the music and the textures that you've got going on in there.
2: Yeah. Another thing, I don't really think um, any song sounds like anybody else. It, it kind of has its own unique qualities and thing to it, you know, um, which I'm really proud about. One of the songs um, I have out, um, it's called Throwing Stones, it's an anti-war message song, that uh, one reviewer said it sounded like a cross between Primus and Stevie Wonder. And I like, <laughs> okay. and, I, and, I went, and I go, wow, I think you're right. It does kind of sound like that, because the way I'm doing the bass parts, and Joe Retta, who you might know from Dio Disciples and uh, Trans-Siberian Orchestra and Suite, uh, really and he did heaven and earth I was in that band with him mm, um, yes he's a great soul singer so he he and he came up with the lyric idea which was pre the Russian invasion of Ukraine I mean just right before it, he sent me his vocal ideas uh, I think in January you know and then you know the invasion happened in February so it was just before that all went down. I, and I said, what are you, Nostradamus? <laughs> you know, <it's, laughs> wow. But anyway, so it's, it's very, and I'm, I'm kind of repushing that song out there because it's still topical and that's still going on. And I still want to raise attention to that whole crisis that's going on over there. Um, in fact, with ultimate jam night, we did a, uh, a benefit concert for world central kitchen and, and, uh, to raise money, f- uh, for the uh, refugees of Ukraine. And we had a family, um, that had their house bombed uh that was relocated to la join us and they got on stage and the father talked and their little seven-year-old um uh, daughter sang we are the world which you know tearjerking wow. we had yeah. some guest, guest performers from ukraine it was a it was a wonderful night and that's something we try to do with ultimate jam night like we've we've gotten uh food drives going for uh, los angeles homeless here and other impulse nightclub when that went down we we tried to raise money to help the victims of that, and you know, we try to do what we can. You know, it's a free show, so you know, it depends on people' generosity to really help out. You know,
0: I was wondering when I listened to "Throwing Stones," I, I kept on thinking it seems like an anti-war song, but I also wondered if there was something kind of the divide between the red and the blue, and the that also that it felt topical in that way to me as well.
2: It actually doesn't have any kind of political message in it like that it's just basically about how war is not the answer love is the answer you know and how much the the actual lyric has to do with the fact that as human beings when we first stood upright and carried on that we were throwing stones at each other to get our way and we're still doing the same thing but we're launching missiles and throwing grenades and how how long will it take before we learn when are we going to learn you know that that's you know that's not the answer so that's basically you know the message that uh, Joe was writing about, and that's what I got out of it anyway,
0: yeah, I know I did get that out of it too, but I just uh also maybe it's just because you know I mean we're in such a uh, a combustible time in our in 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 the world right now that uh, yeah, there's no, so much it, I think can the be
2: It definitely you know? feels like we're uh spinning out of control you know with climate and with you know, possible nuclear war, this is the closest we've ever been to actually nukes being used again, since the Kennedy, um, mm-hmm. situation that happened so many years ago. It's, you know, we kind of live in frightening times and, and it's, I think, uh, as far as politics go, I think we're not the United States any longer. We're the divided States because everybody, it's a tribalism type situation now that I don't care how horrible the person is. He's, he's a, whatever, Yeah, you know, whatever side you're on, he's a, you know, he belongs to my party, so I'm voting for him. I mean, the guy could have, like, you know, beat up his wife, and they're still going to vote for him. You know, yes, yeah. just or whatever the case may be, whatever horrible thing that they've they've done, they don't care because it's more it's more important that their party get ahead than than what's good for everybody. That's my yeah. problem that I'm having with it. But, you know, that doesn't, there's nothing like that in my album. <laughs>
0: it's it's funny. I just, I think, you know, I mean, uh, this idea that love is the answer. I mean, I think that that relates though to every, like what situation isn't that the right answer? You know, there,
2: there really isn't. I mean, if if everybody was empathetic and had compassion and just thought about it like that, how'd you like to be, you know, you don't really know what's going on in that person's shoes, with what, what they're going through. So just, you know, try to be, open-minded and and, yeah. and approach things from a positive instead of a negative and nowadays there's so much hate rhetoric going on everywhere it's just horrible especially like on facebook it's like man you just make one comment somebody misreads what your intent is and they go crazy it's like what the hell you know it's unfortunate <laughs> that, you know it's, a, it's really uh, i think social media is really it's a double-edged sword it's it's been bad for for that and it's also been bad and good for the music business because music's kind of been devalued uh devalued because it's so easy to just get it rip it and get it for free you know um having an album used to be a a, an income source and now it's more of a promotional source and um you know it's it's more about just getting the word out and then going and playing or whatever that's kind of what that that is now um because everybody can just i mean the day a record comes out every song's up on YouTube, pretty much, or or Spotify, or whatever. and Spotify, you don't get anything really, you know. Even if you do millions of streams, you're not going to see any kind of income. So it's kind of that, you know. So that's my point is is that the new world, digital world, is has two sides. You know, good thing you can get the word out easier, but at the same time, so can sixty thousand songs come out a day on Spotify. You know. Yeah. So yeah. it's hard to it's hard to get to rise above and get people to hey, just listen. Like for me, that's all I care about. I just want people to hear what I'm about musically, and this is what I'm about. This album, Sheltering Skies, what I'm about as a musician. Uh, as a, you know, I mean, I've done a lot of great records and rock records, but as a full, rounded, uh, well-rounded uh, musicality experience, that's this is what I'm about.
0: That's definitely what I got out of the varied sounds from it. Was that the idea that this is fully you, that you're able to be fully you and just explore anything that is on your mind. I mean, my favorite song, Darkness Darkness again different than, you know, uh like the yes. songs or like I mean, anything can be um anything felt possible when listening to the album and I think that's probably what you wanted to convey.
2: Yes, exactly. It's it's there's no borders, you know, musical. There's no musical musical borders. Just do it what, what is right for the song and the kind of style you want to do or whatever, you know, whatever genre it kind of falls into, you know, that song Darkness Darkness is actually a song when I was a very young kid. I think I was like maybe 15, 14. I saw a band called the Young Bloods. And um, that's a song, uh, I have two covers on the album. That's one of them. And it's a song that's just resonated with me over the years. And whenever I pick up an acoustic guitar and I'm just noodling, I would like go into it. I've always wanted to record it, but I've always wanted to do it as a full on Celtic, braveheart kind of approached song and then end it with a big jig where it gets all exciting on the
0: end yeah well it's just so cool It's like i say it's probably not the one that i i grabbed the first time i listened to it but the right. more i listened to it the more yeah it's it's uh it's really cool i didn't realize it was a cover of the young Bloods yeah you have to check them
2: out yeah. jesse Colin young if you go on youtube just put in young bloods in that song and you'll hear the original version and then listen to the way i where i took it you know
1: that's the great thing about it is the fact that that you've got those covers, but you you are able to take your new songs, and I think that they all mesh together nicely in that regard. Like like Bjork and stuff like that. You, you're just because it's different doesn't mean it doesn't fit.
2: True that. And and there's three songs on the album, B- the Bjork song being one of them. That came from the fact that I was looking for song files and I stumbled on. These old tracks that I did with my late friend Pat Torpy for Mr. Big and um, my friend Lanny Cordola, and it's all they had on them were the drum track, bass, and rhythm guitar. And the Bjork song had some guitar soloing by Lanny, and that's it. And when I heard them, I go, "Wow, this kicks my ass. These need to be finished. I want honor Pat and I. You know, Lanny and I've always we've done so many projects over the years, seven film scores and tons of records, and you know, we've toured the world together." and um he's he's been in afghanistan and now he's in pakistan so he wasn't around to help me complete it so i just dove in with his blessing and and completed these songs and that's why those there's three on the album uh, throwing stones army of me and it never fails are from those old sessions that we did and we only did the bjork song because we were all sitting there in the studio and we started just talking about uh, army of me. it was like 95 is when that song came out but and, and uh, this is much later, obviously. And, and Pat goes, yeah, man, I love the way that, that uh, they used John Bonham's Levy Breaks drum, drum sample for that song. And I go, oh, cool. And I go, yeah, I kind of know it. You know, and I was playing. So we just started playing the song and, and go, yeah, and we recorded it. Our version. I'm not doing her bass part exactly right. It was just from memory. It's close. And I like what, I, what the way it came out. Um, I didn't go back in and change it to the right. I just go, man, this has such a great pocket feel. I'm going to leave it alone, and um, that's how that all came together uh, with that particular song. Well, and
1: it's nice to see, you know, even with the videos that you've done, and, and I mean, you've done some wonderful videos. But like with throwing stones, I mean, the fact that you got Mitch Perry in there, friend of the show, yeah. and like you've got, and and then of course you've got the uh, like the drum stand in Tasha.
2: Yeah, Tasha. Yeah, she's just she comes off so great. Her energy is amazing. Uh, when she drums, and I reached out to her and I and I said, "Would you could you do this for me?" Because Pat's no longer with us, and she was honored to do it. She's in two of them, actually. She's an army of and throwing stones.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it, and then, of course, you know, an army of Ruth Bader Ginsburgs, which is uh, which is kind yeah. of creepy looking well, in its own way.
2: Well, yeah. At the time, this was made during all the unrest uh, that was going on with the riots, and she had just passed, and and I believe that there's still, you know. Uh, a good number of people that believe in human rights and a right to, you know, right over their own body. And um, that's why there's an army of of Ruth Ginsburg's marching on Washington at the time. And and this is before Roe versus Wade was reversed. You know, I just had a bad feeling about the way things were going and I was right. Unfortunately.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Not the things that you want to be right about, but uh... no,
2: no, I just had a bad feeling about it. So I kind of made a point of doing that. And there's actually a, Right at the end, you can see there's a woman that writes My Body, My Choice across her chest in, the, in lipstick. Uh, but you can find that video and um, there's four. I have four videos out that are, you know, like MTV styles, for lack of a better way to put it, narrative-type videos on, on uh, YouTube. And there's also every song's on YouTube. Um, just, you know, it just has the album cover and then you can hear the songs. Spotify, you can go to chuckwright.com that has links to everything. Um, and ultimate has, you can find out more about that event that I do.
1: Well, I mean, it's certainly awesome. And, and, and I'm interested in ultimate jam night. Like at what point did you, did you kind of say to yourself,
2: "Hmm,
1: ultimate jam night, that's something I want to do.
2: Well, there was a little jam going on at a very small place at home, held like 80 people maybe. And, um, they asked me to take it over. I took it over and I turned it into something else and it became crazy. And then that place closed. They went out of business, um, not because of our nights, but just in general. The guy got out of that business. And uh, so a few months go by, and every time I run into people, they're going, Hey, why don't you do the jam again? Why don't you do this again? It was great. You know, I miss us all getting together, you know, a place for all the musicians. There's a ton of musicians in LA, by the way, for us all to get together. And, um, you know, I was looking around and I found a venue um, and I went there twice in the middle of the week, and they really only had like 18 or 20 people there. And I, and I thought, OK, I'm going to talk to these guys and see if I can, if I, if they'll let me do try this jam thing there. And the first night we had, you know, almost 500 people show up. You know, And I had great, great artists. Gilby Clark was uh, my guitar player and, and Matt Starr. You might know. Um, yep. Freely. And, and the, anyway, th- that was the core band. And we just called friends and we started this thing and it lasted a year at that venue. And it did really great. So great that they decided they wanted to do it themselves. So we moved over to uh, the Whiskey of Go Go and we've been there ever since. And the Whiskey of Go Go is legendary. You know, I mean, the Doors was the house band there. So, um, and I played there when I was a kid. So it's just, that's been our home since. I mean, we had to take a break uh, during the pandemic but we started back this year and our next one's gonna be December 6th, um, celebrating guitar heroes like Eddie Van Halen, Jimi Hendrix, Stevie Ray Vaughan, that kind of thing. And you know, each each show has its own theme. whether it be like a, a night of Queen music, or we did a mustache night where we handed out fake mustaches, and we just did seventies bands known for mustaches. We did a cowbell night. We had I think fifty cowbells on stands on stage, and every song that's known for the cowbell was in there. <laughs> and we and we did the SNL skit. In uh. the middle, like, I mean more, more cowbell, and and um. another one that stands out. We did the full Rocky Horror Picture Show too, and twice in full costume. Oh, But wow. another one that really stands out is we did a Spinal Tap night, and we had twenty-seven bass players for for uh, Big Bottom. So, oh, um, you're yeah. kidding? That would no, be amazing. Like, yes. you can see that on YouTube if you put in Ultimate Jam Night, uh, Spinal Tap, Big Bottom. You can you can hear that. It's pretty, we had bass players all over with little amps all over the club, and on the <laughs> we had two guys with stand-up bass. So, you know, we we try to make it fun. It's not just it's definitely not a show up open mic kind of thing. It's everybody knows what song they're going to do. I, I handpick guys for particular songs. I'll reach out and say, Hey, do you want to play? This is the song. And, and uh, I find out when they're available and the key and I send them the ending that, that the song's going to need. And, you know, it's pretty detailed. Um, I have a really good te- uh, team around me. Uh, Polly Z you might know, uh, has, had been the uh, MC for a very long time and helped organize the show. And, um, and uh, I, Jessica Chase is a media person. I have a you know good crew and people like that, and it's a free show, but um, you know we, we managed to to make it work. It's it's been really great. You know it's been very successful. Um, and we if you go to ultimatejamnight.com, you go to the uh, gallery area, you can see photos from the people that have played with us, like Dee Snyder, Rod and Xander, the Motorhead guys, Doug Panic. Um, we we got the Eat em and Smile Band together at one of the shows, David Lee Roth was rather ready to come out. But that this is the first place we went to that we started at. They kept letting people in, even though I was protesting, saying, you're going to get shut down. Sure enough, the fire marshal shut down the show. So David Lee never got to happen. But we later did get that band, the Eat and Smile band together with Steve Vai and Billy Sheehan and and Greg Bissonette and and the late Brett Tuggle um, together with Jeff Scott Soto singing yeah, uh, you know Yankee Rose and all that. Um, so you know we we do some pretty cool things over the years, or have done some pretty cool
3: things. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I w-
1: so like when the other place decided that they could do it as well. Like how did, how did that make you feel? And do they do it nearly as well?
2: Well, I I honestly felt like there was a big knife in my back. Yeah, you know because I helped build their business, and they actually went to somebody that was part of the house band to do it, and he totally just went, "Yeah, I'll take it over. Cool." So that was really it. I mean, LA Weekly did a big story on it. It was kind of an ugly situation. They tried to compete, but they're toast now. They've been toast for a while. They, yeah. they were like, yeah. It didn't work. You know, because we, we do it from a place of, this is about the musicians and a place of heart, and they did it because they're a corporation. You know.
1: Yeah. Difference. Yeah, I guess. Like, And that's the thing, right? I mean, fans can always tell when something's, you know, disingenuous
2: in that regard. Exactly. They can. And it just, I mean, they got a lot of this, you know, they, they, the guy said, he goes, Well, I won't be taking players that you use. And sure enough, the first week, he, you know, he approached all the people that, that he had met and knew about because of the people that we brought in. So anyway, <laughs> that's just, it's Hollywood, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, and you're it's probably, expected. my whole career has been like those kind of things have happened where, where, okay, I'm expecting a big check and then I got ripped off by the manager or, you know, different things like that have happened over the years. You really, I mean, they really take advantage of you. You're the last person in the food chain. You make the product, but you're the last one to get paid. And the record company's just, you know, whatever. You have to go audit them. Gene Simmons <laughs> told me they audit their label every year and find over a million dollars.
1: Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? it, it almost sounds like you're in the music industry or
3: something.
2: Yeah, exactly. Well, I have been. It's it's completely changed, you know, but but yeah. It's um I'm still going. And uh, you what have I been doing this now, like 40 years or something? I don't know. I don't know. I had my band. I had a band in the late 70s that was a prog band. We were the first band in rock and roll history to have a Krypton laser show or any kind of laser wow. show. We knew the guy that developed the technology up at Pasadena Tech, and you know, we were shooting it off lasers and we had it going on behind us, these like psychedelic laser imagery going on and uh that's yeah i've been doing this a while i guess right yeah we i've can been tell blessed you, though i've <laughs> got to work with some great people alice cooper and yeah greg allman and uh you know yeah that's
0: the thing i was on your website and, and you have so many great old pictures on the website and i, I was like i bet we could go through almost all of these pictures click on it and say tell us a story about this we because could,
2: and we would be here, like you said earlier, seven years or whatever it was. <laughs> okay,
1: well, let's start now.
2: <laughs> There's some interesting stories there, definitely, and and a lot of people have said, you know what? Why aren't you writing a book? You know, it, it's just that the thing about that it's a, obviously it's a big time thing, but trying to recollect things is a is kind of tough. Unless I've I found that if I'm sitting in a group of other guys, peers of mine that came from the same era, and we all start to tell our stories. Then they come alive. Then you go, oh, yeah, I remember that. I remember I remember, Axel Rose in the men's room all night long telling people about his new band, Guns N' Roses. You know, I, that actually <laughs> happened before they were signed. Uh, you know, things like that. It's it, That would be actually a good book is if somebody just sat down with a tape recorder and got guys to just tell their stories and then transcribed it.
0: We'll that do it. Be- We'll do it, Brad.
1: Yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're totally more than happy to that, do that.
0: Yes. I mean, you've yeah. worked with so many of those people, as you say. I mean, you worked with some, You worked with Janie Lane, who's one of my all-time favorites, and Sam
2: Kennedy. Yeah, poor Janie, man. You know, he, he's such a talented guy, but he had so many demons. Um, yeah. I toured with him, too. He lasted, like, I don't know how many shows, like eight shows, and then he disappeared with some drug dealer, never to be seen for two months. Um, and, you know, and the album was fun to make with him. Um, I what I thought was funny was that he was ha- showing Blosser how to do the drum parts. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was a decent drummer himself, but yeah, uh, that's what I mean. Blosser it's just like okay. no, no, I, I remember Jeannie going, no, no, it does not like that, like this. <laughs> it was pretty funny. <laughs> Harry Kelly's a great guitar player. It was it was a yeah. um, a fun thing um to do uh among all the other records that I've been involved in. I had to I went to Houston to Bobby's when he lived out there and went to his place and recorded it out
0: there. Yeah, I know. Uh, I really enjoy that, Sings of the Underground album. I mean, it really, like I say, he was, Janie was one of my favorites. So, I mean, uh, anything with him, I'm into. But do you have a good Ken- Sam Kennison story? Do you you must, have, uh, must have something there.
2: Oh, you know what? I, didn't, I do have a story there, but I did not um, get to actually work with him directly. I was asked to sing. By the producer okay and, and but the thing that was interesting about it is that eddie money was the person i sang with oh, <laughs> oh wow yeah. nice which was kind of cool doing that song and yeah there was just the two of us singing and then i remembered i i worked with a producer uh i did three albums with named andy johns who you might know like, yep. that oh, yeah
1: for sure everybody
2: you know van Halen. anyway he he told me a story about about eddie that um they were mixing a record and uh Eddie was at the airport and splitting, and he called him up. This is when we had payphones. Called him up on the payphone, and he goes, "Yeah, let me hear something." Eddie said, "Me." And so Andy, and he played him some stuff. He goes, "Wow, it sounds a little thin, doesn't it?" <laughs> <laughs> You're on a
3: phone.
2: <laughs> oh <laughs> um, yeah, but that was really that's all I really, I, you know. I never got to meet Sam. I had friends that were really good friends of his, and what a sad way, you know. He you know, what a force to be. It just terrible. Yeah, a
0: car accident. just. You, yeah, see, you just can't terrible. believe it. Yeah, it, you know, he fascinates me to this day. Um, one of those individuals that just, uh, their legend is, you know, is uh, uh, everlasting, evergreen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I, one of the things when I look at those photographs that actually really stands out to me is that uh, you've always had a cool look. You you managed to avoid a lot of the more ridiculous looks that uh, that came about, as seems.
2: Well, in the '80s, we admit when I, the QR3 era, we kind of got a little glammy in our poofy hair. I still have my hair; it's in a ponytail. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, but it it uh, that era kind of was funky. But I tried to, you know, I don't want to get too silly. Yeah, yeah, you managed
0: to avoid that. Some of the bands that got, you know, is it said, make that hair bigger? Just make it bigger, and whoever's got the biggest hair is going to win.
1: And, yeah, uh, I know.
2: Hair, We no called voice. it air farming.
1: Air farming. <laughs> air farming.
2: <laughs> yeah. <And> well, thanks.
1: <laughs> yes. I mean, and it's funny, like, I mean, when you work with Quiet Riot for so long, like, and in and out like that, is that, is it difficult to come back or does it feel like it's, it's kind of oh, coming it's back? Like,
2: it's like riding a bike. I mean, I've been playing songs like uh, Love's a Bitch since, you know, 81. So, you know it's like well, okay here we go again but when i'm playing live i really i get into it because it, it brings back a lot of great memories but i just you know it's just second nature for me playing those songs um you know and it was it was difficult after frankie left especially after kevin was no longer with us in the band i actually um in 80 uh what year was it around 88 when when kevin was Made to leave the band. That's, I left too at that point. I go, oh, it's not going to be the same, you know, which it wasn't. I mean, they did an album with Paul Shortino, which is a really good album, but it is. It, they should have called it something else.
1: But it's totally it not. Sound quite quite right, right, right. I no. really
2: believe they would have had a better shot at success if they just would have been a new band, you know, and just let the Quiet Right name lay low for a while until people figured out that, you know, it's better just to have Kevin like, back. So, oh,
0: back to album which we're you know we got sidetracked here oh yeah well it's easy to do (laughs)
2: uh you know i anyway quite right 26 years nine albums whatever it's part of my history (laughs) yes (laughs) a lot of (laughs) other things that i've I've done and with this new album being something that represents you know what i'm about musically yeah
3: and there's
0: so many songs that uh, i'm listening to and i'm thinking you have a couple songs with no voices, a couple instrumental tracks. Yeah. We call them no voices tracks and honor of Brian Wilson calling them that. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> so uh, You have a couple of those. I don't know. Number one, I'm always curious of this. When you have a, a song, uh, no voices track,
2: uh, how do you name it? Oh, by the way it feels. Mm. Um, now, Weight of Silence was basically the title came because I wrote it during the pandemic, just the weight of the emptiness of the world right then, you know how the cities were bustling and crazy, like Las Vegas. There's nobody on the strip, you know, or wherever in New York City. There's nobody on the streets. So that was the heaviness of that moment in time. Um, and Farewell Horizon is the other one that I wrote. That one actually has three bases. And I I reached out to my friend toshi Inagi, who's uh, you see every night or five nights a week uh, on Jimmy Kimmel. He's the house guy, brilliant yeah. guitar player. Um, I reached out to him and I said, "I've got this piece of music. Could you like put some like Jeff Beck stylized melody over it and some you know holes with soloing, you know, and i I did a homage to Early King Crimson as the bridge. And just the way that song felt, it was like a you know uh, like you're sailing away to me. like it's really dreamy. It gets intense in the middle, like you're hitting heavy waves, but it it had a really dreaminess to it. So, like you're like sailing away, and you're saying farewell to the horizon as you're leaving. That that's kind of where that title came from. Okay,
0: it's curious. Yeah, when, they, when you don't have lyrics, how do you find the title for a song? But that's uh, a
2: good question, though. Yeah. you know, I just a feeling, <laughs> I guess, more than anything, or something. You know, the what the mood or what the feeling is of where the music is. You know, We've
0: sure. literally had people who I've asked that question too because I'm always curious how they did it, and they've said, "I don't know. I just came up with two words that sounded cool together." You know? <laughs> well,
2: yeah, well, for me, it's more about what the something that represents musically what the song is that has yeah. that feel to it. Yeah, and
0: so many of the songs I think that they could actually have been instrumental. That, uh, how did you decide you know this one doesn't well, need a voice? True this enough, true does. enough.
2: The, the song uh, Time waits for No One that mm-hmm. was an instrumental. Um, oh. and that's another one I wrote after getting a phone call about uh, uh, actually, the first drummer in the first band I was ever in passed away, and I had that same rush of emotion type feeling. And I just let it out by, you know, recording and writing something. And instead of the vocal melody, I was doing like bass riffing, like Stanley Clark kind of thing or whatever um, over it. And, um, but I also had a vocal idea for it, for the chorus part of it. Um, And if you listen to that song, when the vocal comes in on the chorus, you'll hear a bass playing a melody um underneath it it's a fretless bass but you'll also hear a lower bass playing the low part that are doing the chord changes so the bass part uh melody underneath the chorus has a piano matching it so so that kind of well you could see oh yeah i can see how that could have been an instrumental and it also has a 30 second setup of just uh, it almost sounds like a opening of a movie or you know it's very cinematic um but yeah that's it just kind of, you know, it depends. That one almost was an instrumental, but it, it became a vocal. But a lot of times you'll sit down and play guitar, which I've done, and I just start singing ideas. Uh-huh.
1: Okay. How gratifying was it to get, like, the Grammy nomination?
2: Well, I'm considered for a Grammy. It's, uh, okay. There's a difference. Yeah, the, yeah, I know, I know. consideration, I'm to, yes. I wish, I, let's pray. That, yes. <laughs> just the fact that my name showed up on the ballot just blows yep. away. I go, I, you know. I'm on this time in Cleopatra, it's an independent label. I'm, you know, kind of, I'm kind of, I kind of call myself like the footnote guy. I'm the guy that's been on all the records, but I'm not the guy in your face, really. Um, so it, it's been, it's a great honor. Um, it was an honor to win that uh, award for best instrumental. I had no idea I was even nominated for that when that happened. Just like I didn't have any idea, I'd be, all of a sudden I got a notice, you know, that said that uh, you're in consideration for Grammy for this album what the hell (laughs) you know i hope it you know i just i just want people to listen to it
3: Mm -hmm. yeah if you like
2: if you like the the album cover and the package is killer it's by glenn wexler my close friend who did rush and a couple van halen records and black sabbath and zz top and and on and on and he came up with a brilliant concept for it um i i'm also you know i dabble in graphic design i worked for three labels at one time in the 90s doing cd packaging but when the best of the best reaches out to you and says, hey, I'd, I'd love to be, you know, do this because this, your, your CD package and the cover idea for it. And um, he'd been listening because I've been sending him tracks as I was writing because we're that close of friends. I go, hey, what do you think? You know, this is what I'm doing. Um, and yeah, so, you know, if people want to get the package, you still can. I mean, it's out there as a hard product at Cleopatra Records or at uh, Amazon even you can get it. Um,
0: yeah, I, I love the album cover. The oh, album cover. You. I mean, I know how difficult it is to capture a bird in in with that kind of dramatic pose and flight. Yeah.
2: Well, what that is just this is a vulture leaving the desolation as an eclipse is ending. Which, if, as dark as that sounds, because the vulture represents death, it represents putting this all behind us. Mm, like, okay. Leaving the desolation. So eclipse cool. ending. It's like the end of the. the the pandemic and the death—that's wow. what that represents, and and he—it really fits the feeling of the music, I think. Um,
1: yeah, for sure. There's no doubt about it. Now, I mean, I mean, we're almost out of our time with you here, but I did want to ask about. Um, so when I thought when we you, had seven years, Brett. Seven years. Well, that's right. The the first forty five minutes of our seven years, but uh, when it's like when it comes to the songs like and choosing the bass like how do you choose which bass you want to play how do you decide like which bass you want to layer well it,
2: it for, for well here's a good here's a good example um if it's more of a rock and roll kind of song i'll use my fender bass cuz it has that kind of sound if it's more of an industrial heavier or metal type rock song like army of me uh, i'll use my specter which i have i've used my specter i got an 85 i think i've done 90 albums with that bass. Wow! It's like the one I've done. The, it just sounds amazing. You don't need to really do much, but it adds a little bit of compression. No EQ, it's killer. Um, and then I use my fretless a lot for expression um, parts or throughout a whole song. Um, there's a video I just recently released um, called for the song, "Given Up the Ghost, where the fretless is used as the passing melody part to take you from the chorus to the second verse, where. A lot of songs you'll hear, it's always a guitar riff taking you in and out, you know, and or a piano part or whatever. But in this case, I'm doing because I'm a bass player and it's my album. <laughs> I'm doing uh, some melodic bass work as well, like Pino paladino or somebody like that. Stop. And, uh,
1: yeah, I I mean I love the when I hear a bass that's actually kind of taking an active role right. um, in the in the song, I really love it because these like these guys are great. I mean Pino is amazing and, and yeah, you when you play the stuff like that then it's just kind of like oh wow, we listen to that because it just adds such a different a different sound and a different texture to the song.
2: Yeah, it it's a different definitely fretless bass is a completely different sound and it's actually it has more emotion to it, I think. And you know, expressiveness in the notes you can the way you can vibrate, slide and do vibrato and do all these different things with it. Um, it's not as an aggressive instrument unless you just add a lot of distortion to it. But um, for me, I like it more as a as a complementary, smooth kind of sound.
1: Yeah, and it's rare to hear a fretless like in in a full album context. I mean, Tony Franklin does it a fair bit. I'm just gonna say Tony's <laughs> a
2: good friend of mine. He, <laughs> he's the fretless monster. Yes, that's right. <laughs> uh, anyway, and I love Tony. He's brilliant, man. That 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 uh, what, what was the the band with uh, Carmine Blue Is Murder. The, Bloomer, yeah. killer. Yeah. Jelly Roll, yes. all oh. those songs. Oh, yeah. Killer. So you good. Yeah,
1: yeah. For sure.
2: And it's fun playing with Carmine. I played with him. I did it. one of the records I really like I did with Carmine is uh, called Bazooka um, with, with Pat Travers. I always wanted to cover a Cream song, and we did Politician, So, which perfect timing for right now. <laughs> <Put> that <on. laughs> And, of wow. course,
1: you're such a huge fan of Jeff Beck, and you just got a chance to see him again. So...
2: I did. I saw him a couple nights ago, and that's marks my eighth time seeing him. And actually, it was one of the more disappointing times, but I got to hand it to the guy. He's 78, and he's still going. You know, he's still putting it out there. Um, he was just doing like a quarter of songs. Oh, really? Yeah, you'd want to hear me and it lovers, you know, and it's like he would do the verse and course, and then that he would end it. It's like, dude, <laughs> but he's 78. <laughs> yes. So, and I could do without Johnny Depp, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Stick to acting.
1: <laughs> he probably brings some crowds,
2: though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure. You know, but he, did, Jeff Beck, doesn't need that. Um, every single person, all my friends, they're all legitimate musicians. All felt the same way about that show. That we yeah. Did. So, yeah but no, Jeff's my favorite guitar player, and Vinny. I miss Vinny playing drums. He's my favorite drummer, Vinny Cayuta. I've, mm, I've been yes. there before if I could play with any anybody right now. Who would it be? And I always say those two guys. Wow.
1: Wow. Yeah, that would be that would be an amazing show.
2: Yeah, yeah. I would love to do it.
1: Well, Chuck, thank you so much uh for coming on the show and we appreciate you talking about your album. And I know we love the album and we urge everybody to listen to it because there's so much to unpack and there's so much to get out of it. And I think that you know it absolutely deserves multiple listenings, as we talked about earlier. So once again, please uh tell everybody how they can keep up with you and where they can find the album.
2: Um, just go to my name Chuck Wright with a W W R I T H T like the Wright brothers um, uh, dot com. Uh, you can find it there. Spotify uh, has Chuck Wright Sheltering Sky. Amazon, if you want a uh, hard product, or the Cleopatra website, Cleopatra Records. Um, those are the best places really uh, to to locate what's going on with me. And I'm on Facebook, of course. You know, you can find me there too that's I, right i usually do a couple posts a day actually i'm pretty, pretty <laughs> crazy about it depends <laughs> i mean on my personal side but not my my professional one i don't do post as much but i do on my personal one yeah I'm well it's oh, it's
1: great to keep up with you and uh and like i say i mean we're big fans and have been for a long time so it was uh, it was a treat and we look forward to talking to you again
2: yeah man there's a lot to, a lot more to talk about
1: no um, doubt about it
2: yes we uh, uh
1: we love the Sunset Strip.
0: We love stories about the sun. We wrote a graphic novel called Kings of the Strip about a band from the 80s in the Sunset Strip. That's how much we love it. So yeah, there's kind of contributed
2: uh, to that one. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> All
1: right. Well, next volume, we will we will definitely hit
0: you. Yeah, I've got some
2: stories you could use and turn into something. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, right. there's a
0: back section called Tales from the Strip that we uh, want to use from uh, real life
2: stories.
0: There you go. So there we go, Yeah but uh thank you very much for your time it's been yeah uh, thanks guys it's, it's been, been awesome
2: great. it's been great chatting with you i'm glad you like the record and uh i appreciate you helping get the word out on it
1: yeah absolutely that's uh that's what we're here for and we love the we love the music and we'll we'll always be there so thank you so much
2: thanks brett thanks for all right yeah
1: see you later bye now